Well, we want to uh, turn in our scriptures now as we look into the scriptures for our uh, message. We want to encourage you to turn the Bible to Second Peter chapter 1, and we will be reading from verses 1 through 11. This morning, we're blessed to have James, our pastor of student ministries, open our new school year with a message from this passage. We'll be reading from Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. It reads, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. James? Well, thank you, Pastor Joe. As always, it's a pleasure to be bringing God's Word to you this morning. I'll back up a bit for the sake of those who are uh, close up. Uh, well, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, their, their short week after Labor Day. Uh, it always seems to come fast. All of a sudden, it's September. Um, and I hope that for those of you who went to the, the church family retreat, that you were as blessed as Leanne and I were. Uh, you know, growing up, at least to my recollection, our churches never did a, a church family retreat. I mean, we used to maybe have a church-wide picnic or uh, do something like that. But uh, it wasn't until I came to this church that I've even heard of the idea of the, uh, the church going together for the weekend to, uh, to grow and maybe learn, have a speaker. And so uh, when I first heard about it, I wasn't really sure what to expect. But the, the last couple of years uh, have been a real blessing to us. And uh, and especially this past weekend with uh, just learning about the family, uh, Leanne and I uh, still being new in our in our marriage, just barely celebrating our second anniversary. Uh, I've got a lot to learn, and so it was a good weekend for us. And and if you were to tell me before the weekend started that I would be uh, competing in a wheelbarrow race with Peter Fong <laughs> or uh, Dosi Doing next to Mei Chen, I probably wouldn't believe you. But 
alas, those are the things that I did, and it was, it was a good time. It was a good time to, uh, uh, just to encourage one another and grow in faith uh, and in love with one another. But it is true that uh, now Labor Day has come and gone, and although technically we have uh, maybe just over a week of summer, uh, Labor Day always kind of seems to me, at least in my mind, to signify the beginning of fall. Uh, although the Lord has blessed us with some nice weather, um, school started, and I mean, even if you go into places like Costco or the grocery store, you're already starting to see the fall-scented candles out, or even the, the Halloween-type stuff, and, and I'm like, it's too early. No, it's, it's you know. Uh, but it's true, Labor Day seems to mark the, the beginning of, of the new school year, and, and with that comes uh, kind of a time of, of regular routine. I know that uh, with many of you, whether you have families or not, summertime seems to be uh, a time where things are out of order. You're going on vacation. You're doing different things. Family's coming in town. You're, you're going to visit family. But once kind of fall comes around, things kind of settle down and you, you get into that routine. Uh, once the, your students go back to school, you start getting your normal uh, family schedules. Uh, but it's also time because of that that it, uh, many people start making goals. And it, it is a good time for that. It's a good time to uh, reflect, you know, if you're a student, what kind of academic goals do I want for this year? What am I working for? Why am I going to school? That kind of thing. Uh, oftentimes, many families this time of year uh, sit down and think, okay, you know, what, what do we as, as a family want to accomplish this school year? What, what do we, you know, what about sports or what about our spiritual goals and, and maybe family devotion times and that type of thing? Um, and so if you haven't done so, you know, I would encourage you to do that as a family, to do that as an individual, kind of reflect. Uh, it's always good to make an excuse to reevaluate your goals and, and, and to set some new uh, standards and, um, and desires for your, your spiritual life. You know, you students, what, what kind of academic and spiritual goals do you want to accomplish? And in thinking about this, it reminded me of this documentary I saw on uh, the Navy SEALs and the, the training of the Navy SEALs. And uh, as most of you know, the Navy SEALs are the uh, our military's most e- elite fighting uh, group. And so their, their training is rather strenuous and tough. And it needs to be because they do a lot of dangerous things that the average person wouldn't dream of doing. Um, and so this documentary followed these, uh, these sailors, they're in the Navy, of course, uh, through all the different stages and interviewed them, and it kind of showed on the, the various training things that they did. And, and in the middle of this training, uh, there's a particular week that is, you know, really difficult. It's the most strenuous, not just physically, but also mentally. It's hard, and they really break you down. And it's after this week or during this week that over 70% of all the candidates drop out. So the overwhelming majority, that they can make it at the, in the beginning, but once this really hard week comes, they drop out. And so they, they interview guys trying to make through it. And amongst the barracks where they're at, there's, there's a big, I think it was a brass bell, a large brass bell. And all the candidate had to do when they wanted to quit. They didn't have to file any real forms. They didn't have to ask their commanding officer if they could leave. Uh, all they had to do is just go and ring this bell. And once they rung this bell right in the middle amongst the barracks, that was it. Uh, they could quit, no questions asked. They could leave. Because they were there voluntarily. They were trying to make it into the Navy SEALs. And I thought, you know, oftentimes uh, your spiritual life, our spiritual lives can be like that. Sometimes in the beginning or there's times where things are fine and you're doing it. And yeah, it's tough, but you're making through it. But then come those weeks that are especially hard. They're especially tough on you uh, physically. They're especially tough on you mentally and spiritually. And there's times when you just feel like, ah, that's it. I don't, I don't want to take this anymore. I'm tired of fighting my sin. I'm tired of being persecuted be, uh, because I'm, I'm a Christian or being made fun of. I'm, I'm tired of uh, struggling this 
this way in my family. And there's, there's times where you just want to go and ring the bell and, and stop and live how you want. You know, and the truth of the matter is that many Christians do ring the bell and, and they never return. Scripture tells us that that's the case. So this morning, as we've been, uh, we began studying Second Peter uh, in the beginning of June, um, and we, we continue our study there this morning. But this morning, Peter encourages you uh, to press on. He encourages you to press on, and he, he, he's going to remind you this morning through his word, through God's word, uh, that there's benefits, there's certain results that if you press on, it's worth it. There are results if you do it. And so he wants to encourage you as a Christian to continue to strive after godliness, to continue to strive after being a person of Christian character, because it will have results. So looking down, beginning in verse 8, Peter writes, he says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, if these qualities are yours. Now, what qualities is he speaking about? Well, he's speaking about the qualities that he just got finished discussing uh, in the previous verses. And, and we kind of examined this more extensively uh, in, my last, in, in my last message. Uh, but for your benefit, I, I, at the top of your outline, I listed them. There are eight qualities which he lists. And so anytime I, I'm referring to uh, qualities or Christian character, traits of Christian character, this is what I'm going to be referring to because that's what Peter gives. He starts it up in, uh, in verse 5, and they're at the top. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And Peter, Peter, first, uh, Peter first instructs us as Christians that, that we are to strive after these things because in doing so, it puts us in contrast to the world. It separates us from how the world lives. Because naturally the world doesn't live this way. They're enslaved to their sins. They don't care about self-control unless it's their benefit. You know, they don't really care about love unless it makes them feel good or it benefits them somehow. I mean, sure, they can put up this big facade about loving people, but ultimately it's to find self-fulfillment. And so Peter says, you're to strive because, for these because you're in contrast to the world, but because you have escaped that corruption. You are no longer under the slavery of sin. And in fact, in verse 4, he says you are to do it because you are partakers of the divine nature now. When you become a Christian, when you repent of your sin, uh, God gives you his Holy Spirit and it's conforming you into the the image of his Son. And so now, not only uh, should you have the desire to fulfill these qualities, but God has given you the ability to do so. He's given you the desire and the tools, and so Peter says, live this way. And he commands you to live this way, but then, um, oftentimes God, he, he instructs us to do things. And he is God, and he, he does not owe us any explanation. He doesn't need to explain uh, why he is doing things. And parents, you can kind of understand that. Sometimes you tell your children to do something, um, and they say, well, why? And there comes a point in time that sometimes you want to explain it to him, or sometimes you'll get the, because I'm the mom, that's why. Because I said so. I didn't get that too much when I was little, but there was times, my mom's smiling there, that I, I needed to get that. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to question. So there's times when God uh, commands us to do things, and He doesn't necessarily give us uh, a reason. But there are also times that He blesses us and lets us know why we should do this. And this is one of those examples. And we've looked at uh, times like this before. And so Peter, after giving us a list of qualities on uh, how we should live, how we should live he, he gives us the reasons why. 
So from this passage this morning, I'm going to give you four motivating results of godliness so that you will strive to live a life of Christian character. Four motivating results of godliness so that you will strive to live a life of Christian character. And Peter begins, again, in verse verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours... Peter here, he emphasizes this idea of ownership. This is, he, he, he's not just saying, if you know about these qualities, he, he kind of gives this idea of that, that, that you own them, that they are yours. Because knowing without doing is worthless. It doesn't do any good to hear about something and, and think it's good, but then do nothing about it, does it? I mean, many people hear about these things uh, all throughout the country who go to churches or hear things. And, and, and some people, you know, it does no good just to hear about how to live and think, oh, you know, those are good quality traits. You know, I, I'd like to maybe start doing that someday if I get around to it. Or, or oftentimes many Christians say, yes, yes, I know, I know, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to live this way. As almost as if they are annoyed that they are always being told to be good. And yet they still never change their life to do anything. Many people across the country, in fact, if you look at any major poll done of people who claim to be Christians in this country, it's the majority. And yet we do not see Christian traits and qualities from the majority of of the people around us. So Peter says, if these qualities are yours, you you do not just know them, you you own them. The Greek word for here, yours, it it gives the idea of somebody who is in charge of something. Somebody who owns something. Somebody who, who is in possession of something. In the New Testament, it's, it's oftentimes used to, be somebody, to, to describe somebody who's owning goods or owns lands or property. And, we, and you can kind of understand this, that oftentimes you are known for what you own, right? You know, I mean, if you walk into a town, and especially back in Jesus' day, it's, if they saw a property, oh, that's so-and-so's property. They associated that property with, or that's so-and-so's shop. His family's owned it for generations. Or, oh, this is so-and-so's goods. People are often known by what they possess. So let me ask, what are you known by? Are you just known for somebody who drives a nice car or lives in a fancy house? Or if somebody was going to describe you, would they say, oh yeah, that, he, that so-and-so is so kind and compassionate. Oh, so-and-so is humble and they're loving. You see, when somebody describes you as such, that means that your lifestyle has reflected It's so much that it is yours, you own it, you are known by it, you possess it. You see, the more you strive to do these things, the less it becomes something you have to do, and the more it becomes of who you are. It starts defining your life. It's not just a task I have to do, it it becomes so routine that it's second nature. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, James, that's, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying, but, you know, I don't know if I, I, I could get to the point where I could say, I own faith. Or I own spiritual knowledge. I mean, I don't have this complete, you know, I own self-control. Yeah, well, I, I try to do it, but, I, you know, I, I don't want to go that far. Well, Peter here, he, he's not saying that you have to have it perfected. In fact, he continues on and he says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, there's always going to be room to grow. And the word increasing here, it, it's also translated abounding, it's overflowing. It's a part of you, but there's always room for you to increase. You're not going to be able to have it perfected if you're a Christian until uh, you're in heaven and in glory. But the whole point is that you're striving to live after them so that it's reflecting in your lifestyle. It's reflecting in your lifestyle. It's present and it's growing. It's growing and flowing from your life so that other people may see it. 
And it's not always easy. I mean, there's times, again, there's weeks where things seem to be going okay. But then there's those weeks that you just, something bad happens at work. Maybe you're made fun of uh, or uh, you should have spoken out about something and you didn't. And, and so you're struggling. Uh, but let these, uh, the, the following motivations encourage you to strive. Let these results uh, motivate you. And the first one that Peter says is that you will produce. You will produce visible fruit that is effective for the service of God. When you strive after these Christian qualities, being a a person of of godly character, then you will inevitably produce fruit, spiritual fruit. Peter continues and he says, staying in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being ineffective. And he's using the negative here. Because it's almost, we can understand that it's our, it's our natural tendency um, to be ineffective. Right? And if you think about when you were a kid or uh, with your children, they don't naturally uh, clean the dishes. They don't naturally just come home and do their homework. They don't naturally do their chores the first time they're asked. Right? These are all things that must be taught because we're naturally ineffective. We're naturally lazy and we don't want to work. And so it's easy as a Christian oftentimes just to naturally get into a spiritual rut, into spiritual complacency. Just letting the days go on and, and not really challenging yourself to grow in uh, Christian character. And but Peter here is saying just to, to, to remind you to strive after that because there's important results. And if you don't think it's easy to get into a spiritual rut, just maybe uh, think about your life over the past month. Maybe do a, a secret tally on how long you've spent in God's Word. Or how long you spent in prayer? When was the last time you, 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 spent, you went before God and you examined your life and you said, God, where are areas that I can grow in? Where am I failing in self-control? Where, where am I not being steadfast? Where am I not showing love where I'm supposed to? And I know there's many godly men and women in this room who, who do that, but um, if, if, you're like, if you're like me from time to time, it's easy to get into a spiritual rut. So uh, Peter encourages us, encourages all Christians to... Uh, to strive for Christian character. And so if you find yourself that that's you this morning, let today be a, renew your sense to, of a desire to pursue godliness, to pursue Christian character. It is worth it. Because if you do these things, you will be challenged. You will grow spiritually and you will be challenged. And why will you be challenged? Because the more you start to seek about uh, how, to, how to have stronger faith and self-control, the more you start to see how <laughs> you're weak at it. I mean, there's certain things that are uh, good, that you might be good at, but the more you seek to try to excel at these, the more you see, wow, man, Lord, I, I am weak. I need to grow. I need your strength. And it's a constant reminder to you that we need to depend on God. And the more you seek these qualities, the more you seek to honor God and to grow, uh, the less you're going to care about worldly things. They're not even going to be on your mind. You're going to start to pay attention to worldly things, but from the aspect of growing in Christian character. So when you see those worldly things, whatever it is, you're not, going to be, you're not just going to be lazy about it or kind of like, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. You're going to think, wow, I need to grow. What, what, would God, what does God expect me as a, as a Christian to do? So Peter says, when you seek these things, it keeps you from being ineffective. It propels you to be effective. You can't help but be effective if you're striving after these. You can't but help to be a servant of God. And the Greek word for effective, uh, it's ineffective rather. It's it's used oftentimes uh, for somebody who is idle or worthless. 
not doing what they're supposed to. And, and it's used by uh, Jesus in Matthew. And I'll, I'll read a section here out of Matthew 20. He's giving a parable about laborers. Just to help you have an understanding of this. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go, into the vine- you go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? That word for idle, it's the same word. So in a sense, the master of the house was looking at them thinking, You know, what have you been wasting your time for all day? You have some training, you know how to work, so what are you doing? You see, a worker who has been trained and knows how to do something but is not doing what, he, what he's been trained to do is a useless worker. You wouldn't want to hire someone like that, would you? And so when you strive after these Christian characters, it keeps you from not doing what you should be doing. It's propelling you. It, 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 it's making you do your purpose as a Christian, which is, as Peter continues on, to bear fruit. We are not to be worthless not to be idle. In fact, this is the same word that James uses when he says faith without works is useless or worthless. It's the same word. And so when you strive after these characters, it, it propels you to be effective for the kingdom of God. Effective for what? He continues on and he says, uh, going back to Second Peter, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes you effective for bearing fruit. For bearing fruit. And bearing fruit is a, is a common theme in Scripture. It's a common metaphor in Scripture. But what does it mean? You know, I mean, Jesus says that you know, we are to bear fruit for Him. What does it mean to bear fruit? Bearing fruit means that you live and work in a way that brings honor and glory to God. The true God. Jesus says in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. When you seek after these qualities, those qualities listed there for you, you can't but help to bear fruit. You just will. When you seek after those qualities, you won't even try and you'll bear fruit. And how will you? Well, there's lots of examples. When you strive to be a person of faith... Right, then you, you stop worrying, you have faith in God's promises and you, and you stop worrying about the future as much. And you trust God and His sovereignty. And people see this. People see when something bad happens to you that you're, you're not crushed or de- derailed. When you strive after knowledge, it equips you to, to give wise counsel to uh, your friends or your family members. They see the spiritual knowledge you have. When, when you do that, it just it radiates from you. When you strive to live a life of self-control and steadfastness, it rubs off on your kids and your family. They see a difference in you. And they want to strive to emulate that. When you live this way, according to the, to the, the principles found here, these qualities, then your fruit will be clear to all. And why do you bear fruit? Because, Peter says, you will be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only reason why you will be striving after these. It is not for, for selfish gain. It is not to, to just glorify yourself. But it's because you know Christ and you know what He has done and you, you know that, uh, that, that what He accomplished on the cross and how He has changed your life. And this idea of knowledge is an important theme to Peter. In fact, this is the fifth time he uses this word in, in the first eight verses of the book. It's a common thing. And he, he's not just talking about head knowledge, because as we talked about before, just head knowledge is not good unless you use it. He's talking about a heart knowledge here, a life-changing knowledge. Knowledge that will uh, affect your lifestyle. And this knowledge, this heart knowledge, is what will separate you from a non-Christian or a false convert. When you take the knowledge in your head and, and make it a heart knowledge where it impacts your life, this is how you will separate yourself from the world who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. A person who truly understands and has a knowledge of Jesus Christ should be compelled to act and make every effort to grow in Christian character. A person who truly understands and has knowledge of Jesus Christ should be compelled to act and make every effort to grow in Christian character because you know the great price He paid for you. You know that you didn't deserve it, but then He saved you. And you, and you realize that, that you want to obey the one who saved you. And in doing this, it also brings out a, a, another motivating result, which is the second result, and it's that you perceive you perceive the work of God in your life. Striving after Godliness will, will, will continue to help you remember what God did for you. When you strive and you go for these qualities, you're going to grow and you're going to want to honor Him. But you're also going to see when you fail. And when you fail, you remember that, man, I, I, I'm not getting to heaven because of my good works. Because if it is, I'm not making it. I'm only getting to heaven because my faith in Christ. He saved me. He died and paid for my sins. Peter continues on in verse 9. And he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgot that he was cleansed from his former sins. When you don't live after these qualities, when you don't strive to grow and become a person of Christian character, you're handicapping yourself. You're in effect making yourself spiritually blind. And when you do that, you're making it unable to live in a way that you were supposed to live. You're forgetting how you were equipped. You're forgetting your previous life. That term short-sighted or near-sighted, we, we understand that. We still have that around today. It means that you, can't, you can see something that's right up in your face, but then that's just about it. Things in the distance are blurry. Things in, in, behind you are blurry. And you can't make it out. You know, many people, uh, even in this room, might be. That's me. I, I, I wear contacts. Um, some people wear glasses. And some people, you, you, I mean, there's different calibers of this. I mean, you have, for me, mine's not so bad. My glasses are kind of thin and light. Some of you are like that. But then occasionally, you bump into somebody who has kind of the opposite end. I don't want to be too harsh on it because there might be some people here, but they got the big, thick, you know, they have like beady little eyes because their glasses are really thick. And it's not their fault. A lot of times that's hereditary or they study a lot. Right? But, but, but if, if I were to take out my contacts or glasses, I, I mean, I might be a little blurry for a little while, but, I, you know, I could walk around the room. I, I can make it okay. I could maybe make a bowl of cereal. 
but there's some people that once the glasses come off, forget it. Unless, unless you're like right up in their face, they can't see. I mean, yeah, they might perceive somebody's in the room. They might be able to perceive if it's light or dark or not. But besides that, they're going to stub their toes. Uh, they're wrecking, you know, everything's going to be wrecked in their path that they walk around. As a matter of fact, it's illegal for them to drive. All right? Even the government, you know, they recognize that some people can be so uh, nearsighted that they're essentially blind. And so Peter says that if you're not striving this way, that you're making yourself nearsighted. You're making yourself nearsighted. So that it, 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 you're making it, it in a sense, you, you, you're focused so much on what's here that you're blind to what's behind you. If you turn around, you can't see what's behind you. And he's talking about your former past life. Uh, but in, in effect, if, you're not, if you can't see that, then certainly you're not thinking about the future and how you might honor the Lord or your future life in heaven. This is a Christian who is not growing in Christian character. He's blinding himself. And this is not a, a genetic thing like most of our uh, eyes might be or too much looking at a computer. But this is somebody who's willfully blinding themselves. They're handicapping themselves. They might be so focused on the present struggles of the day. They might be so focused on the, the worldly desires or um, things that make them comfortable. The, the, things that are in their face that they've completely forgot about where they just came from. What should you be seeing? What should you be seeing clearly? Your forgiveness. Your former life. You should be remembering that, wow, I was dead in my trespasses. If I happened to die before I came to know the Lord, I would have been punished for my sins and I would have been sent to hell. Because that's what God's Word says. I broke His law and I'm a sinner. But then as a Christian, you remember, but He saved me from my sins while I, while I was yet a sinner. And so now I have hope. If, if you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith in Christ, then there's hope for the future. And you can see clearly. And you live in a way that is striving after godliness, not, not to gain favor with God, because certainly you're not saved by that, but out of gratitude to the one who saved you. Because you want to honor and become like the one who gave his life for you. Because that's what he's asked to do. One commentator noted, In the ancient world, one significant duty of a client towards his or her patron was the remembrance of past benefits received from the patron. If you neglect to grow and instead turn back to your former life, then you are forgetting what was done for you and are, so to speak, slapping your divine patron in the face. And what am I talking about? It's kind of like this, all right? It, it, let's say um, there was a slave and he, he was owned by a, a wicked and brutal master. And then one day, uh, a, a very wealthy, compassionate person saw him and how he was being treated and went and purchased him for a, a very high price. He bought him out of that slavery and he says, Alright, uh, I care about you. I don't want you to be in there. Come, please, be a steward in my house. Enjoy the blessings of my house. Represent me into the community. Right? And the, and the slave would be joyful because he's no longer under the, the, um, the leadership and the, and the task masking of that slave owner. But then after a short period of time, maybe the master goes looking for his new friend. And he can't find him, and he goes and he finds him back working for the, slave, the old slave master who was mean to him. And you might be thinking, you know, what is he doing? 
He, he comes up and says, you know, you're freed. You don't, have to, you don't live like this anymore. You don't have to. You're free to do whatever you want. Why are you going back to your past life? You see, if you're a Christian and you, and, and you are saved from your, your slavery of sin, but you're not striving to live a life of godliness, it's like you, you've been saved, but you forgot that you were freed, and so you, you go back to the slavery of sin. But when you strive to live a life of Christian character, you're always going to be remembering what God did for you. You're perceiving the work of God in your life. You find new ways to pray for yourself, to pray for your family, and you're growing in Christian character, honoring God in life, but then you're also always remembering what God did for you. Trials and difficulties won't shake you because you'll remember you were once way worse off. Life was worse. And if God was faithful then to save me, He's faithful now to help me endure anything that I can, that I have to go through. A person who is not living after these qualities, or at least not striving to live, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. And this is a dangerous place to be at, church. You don't want to be here. Because then really, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not striving after these qualities, you don't really know if you're saved or not. You can't really know. And people around you don't really know if you're saved or not. And that brings me to the third benefit. Which is when you strive after these qualities, one of the results is that you will prove that your salvation is genuine. You prove that your salvation is genuine. Peter continues and he says, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. See, when you live after this way, you're proving to the world that you're a Christian. And and even more importantly, you're proving to yourself that you're a Christian. And you're not proving it to God because He already knows. He knows your heart. You You can't prove that to Him. He knows whether you've placed your faith in Him or not. But the thing is that the world around you is not God and they don't know. And sometimes you should be examining yourself. Am I really a Christian? Because the thing is, serving after these qualities does not save you. These qualities are the result of salvation. And so if the result of salvation isn't there, maybe the original salvation didn't take place in the first place. It's like going past a, a tree. I, I'm not a tree expert. I mean, I used to do landscaping, but you know, I'm not like one of those people, maybe some of you are here, who can just tell you about every sort of tree and know every sort of tree. Right, and I don't know if you. There, there, there was one time where uh, I used to see this tree all the time, but I, I, I didn't realize that it was a particular fruit tree. And I'd seen it for many years, but it wasn't until I actually saw the fruit on it. And it, honestly, I don't remember what kind of fruit it was. I want to say plum tree, but plums are, plum trees are usually pretty obvious. So honestly, I don't remember. But I was surprised. I'm like, oh, that's a fruit tree. I didn't realize that. Right? See, because to me, generally I can tell the difference between trees, but trees look like trees unless I see the fruit and then I know what kind of fruit it is. Right? And, and oftentimes people can be the same. People look like people. People act like people. People live like people. But their lifestyle is going to show you what kind of person they are. Right? If you call yourself an orange tree, but you're not growing any oranges, after a while you're going to start to think, am I really an orange tree? I mean, growing the oranges is not what makes you an orange tree. You are just an orange tree. But when you strive to live these Christian characters, 
not to gain salvation, but to honor God. You bear fruit, and it makes it clear to the world, to yourself, everyone around you, that you are a Christian. Just like when an orange tree bears oranges. It makes it clear, oh, it's an orange tree. You see, scriptures tell us, the Scripture tells us that, that non-believers are in darkness. They are spiritually blind. In fact, Jesus, a number of times, all throughout the New Testament, called the Pharisees blind guides. But Christians, if you're a Christian, you've been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. You can see clearly. You can see spiritual things clearly. You know the truth. God has changed your heart. Did your life reflect this transformation? Did your life reflect this? Do you know for sure if you are saved? You see, the thing is, non-believers are blind and they, they walk around. And so we expect to see them walking and not understanding life, like a blind person would. In darkness, right? Hopelessness, despair, living for themselves. We should expect to see uh, a non-believer this way. But Peter says, if you're not striving after this, even if you are a Christian, you become so nearsighted that you're essentially blind. You're walking around the same way as the world, and oftentimes the world can't tell whether you're completely in darkness or just so nearsighted that you can't see. The world can't tell the difference. Is that person completely blind, or they just have such bad eyesight that they're blind? Especially back in Paul's day when they didn't even have glasses. If you were so nearsighted that you couldn't see, you were done for. You were essentially blind. Right? You'd have to feel people's faces the same way a blind person would. Can the world tell a difference between you and a non-believer? Do other Christians wonder if you are saved or not? Is a co-worker or a friend of yours, when you tell them that they're, you're a Christian and that you go to church, are they going to be surprised? Like, really? You're a Christian? Right? If that's the case, that should be an indicator to you. Wow. You know, maybe I'm not bearing enough visible fruit. Flip with me, please, to, to Matthew chapter 5. Here the Lord is instructing His disciples. And He's talking about the importance of, of, of living the life of Christian character and bearing fruit. And it's not just because you're honoring God, because it's bringing results. It's an important, there's, there are important reasons for this. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says, You, speaking to the disciples, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, as a Christian, you are to live, um, to give God glory for your life. But this should be done in a way so that the whole world sees and knows you're a Christian. Like a traveling person who travels towards a city at night, especially back in Jesus' day, would have seen the city and seen it off for miles. Or like flipping on a, a, a lamp when you walk into a dark room. It's visible to all. There's no question. Oh, there's a light. If you don't have this, then you might not be saved. And that is the benefit about striving after Christian character. If you, if you have a desire to and you're striving after these qualities that's, that are listed for you, that Peter lists... 
It's a reminder to yourself, yes, I am saved, but it's also a testimony to the world. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5 that we should always be examining ourselves, testing ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Am I really a believer? Is my life reflecting that? When you stand before God one day, is He going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or is He going to say, depart from me for I never knew you? This is no trifle matter. Now here we see that... uh, that Peter says that when you do this, you make your calling and election sure. And so we know that your salvation is ultimately dependent on God. It is God who calls people into salvation. It is He who elects and changes people's hearts. He is the one that saves. And some of you might be thinking, well, okay, James, I, I, I see it. But if that's true, how am I going to really know I'm saved? How am I going to really know I'm elect? That's a common question. That's a, even a big theological question. How do you know who the elect are? Well, Peter makes it clear that you can know if you're elect. It's if you're striving after these qualities. Certainly God knows the heart and He knows the motivations behind it. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you have faith in Him, and then you're striving after these qualities to bear fruit, Peter says that's an indicator to you that you're calling election is sure, that it's true, that it's real, that you are saved from your sins. That's why he says, be all the more diligent. Verse 10, he says, Brothers, be all the more diligent. The the Greek word means to be zealous, to do anything and everything you can. It's the same term that he he uses for Timothy when he says, Do everything you can to come and meet me before winter. Try hard. Explore every option. Work hard. So that you, you know, in speaking back to these spiritual qualities, when you do this, you're reminding yourself, you're, you're testifying to yourself and to the world that you indeed are saved. Because... Doing this is a result of salvation. Again, it's not these qualities that save you, say maybe like the the Catholics or Mormons might believe, but they're the result. If they are yours and they increase, then you'll never have any doubt that you're saved. Now, you might not be thinking that's important now because many of you are thinking, all right, I already know I'm saved. But there may come a time in your life when a heavy trial hits or a period of, of, of strong doubt. And this result of striving after character and living a life of God will be priceless to you because you'll never, you'll never waver. Yeah, sure, you'll struggle. But this will be blessed. And he, he continues on and he says, For if these are yours, you make your calling election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now Peter here, he says, you will never fall. He's not talking about you will have a great life. That you will be blessed with spiritual blessings of possessions and you'll always be happy. happy. No. No, he's talking about you'll you'll never fall. The the, the term fall or stumbling is talking about spiritually. You're never going to be so overcome by fear that you fall away from God. You're never going to doubt and just fall away. You are His because He has called you and elected you and saved you. But the more you practice these things, you're never going to stumble. Yeah, you might go through some difficulties. But you'll always remember, God cleansed me from my former sins. And I want to bear fruit. And even during those difficult times, you'll be all the more encouraged to continue to strive on. And why do you continue to strive on? It brings me to my last point. Because you will persevere with Christ in His eternal kingdom. You will persevere. Your final motivator to live this way is your hope in heaven. Your hope in heaven. 
And a couple weeks ago, uh, on the uh, high school youth retreat, that was our whole topic for the week was heaven. And we studied what heaven was going to be like, who's going to be there, what we're going to do there, what's it going to look like. And it was a fun study. And we talked about how the, it is true that the way you live now is going to have a direct impact on your life in heaven, your rewards in heaven, your experience in heaven. Not that there's different levels of experience, but there's different levels of reward. So Peter doesn't say this to scare you into obeying God, even though from time to time that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's not doing this to bribe. He's just doing it because he's just saying that that's the truth. He continues on and he says this, beginning in verse 11. For if you practice these qualities, you never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There will be richly provided for you. So Peter says, he's giving you hope. And he's like, look, all this hard work you're doing, it's not in vain. There's hope that there's an end to the struggle. So persevere and and bear fruits because there's going to come a time where your struggles are over, but your fruits will always remain. And it's in heaven. He uses the term uh, that there will be an entrance richly provided for you. And and that would have reminded the the, the people reading this. It it gave the idea of like uh, an Olympic champion coming home to his original town. And the people would have went out and celebrated his coming because they they would have been proud of him. They would have taken honor in his coming. He's finally home. Well done. In fact, uh, some scholars think that if there was a walled city... To honor an Olympic champion, they would, they would break a hole in the wall and make a brand new entrance so that he would be the first one to walk through it. That would be his entrance. And so then after he walked through it, any time anybody would walk in and out of that entrance, they would be reminded of him and, and the work that he accomplished and his glory. So Peter says, if, if you continue to strive, if these qualities are yours and you own them, you assure that you're saved. And if you are saved and you assure that you're saved, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. Let life and heaven motivate you to live godly now. I mean, if you think about it, you have these Olympic, you have these uh, Olympic athletes, right? And they spend, you know, you think of Michael Phelps or all the different runners. They spend hours on end training, working, trying to, to strive to, to win the gold medal. They beat their bodies. They, they uh, sometimes go with lack of sleep. They really train until they get to the event. And if they win the gold medal, at the end of their career, they don't have to work anymore. They retire. They, they, they can stop beating their body in such a way. They can stop striving and, and going through the pain. They don't have to do that any longer. But they'll always have that gold medal that they earned. It will always remain with them. And the same is true about you and your works here carrying over into heaven. The works that you do here will always remain. That's why Christ says, store up treasures in heaven where neither thief can steal nor, nor, nor moth or, or rust can destroy. They will remain. But when you get to heaven, you're not going to have to strive after these qualities because you'll be sinless. They will come natural to you. They will be done. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more pain. The work will be done, but the fruits that you accomplish here in life, they will remain. See, Peter says, when you strive after these things, it's not all for nothing. It's for your own good and it's for the glory of God. I encouraged the students a couple weeks ago to to, to be mindful of heaven. 
To be mindful of the day when, after striving and trying to be like God, to remember what Christ did for you on the cross, um, that one day you'll get to see Him face to face. And you'll get to present all that you've done to Him, saying, Lord, You did this through me to Your glory. But I also reminded them not to keep their head in the clouds. Right? Don't be thinking about that too much, but be thinking about how your life here is going to impact your life in heaven. See, the thing is that when you think about heaven, it will directly impact your life now. When you think about leading your families in a godly way, sharing the gospel with with relatives or people at work, it has eternal ramifications. C.S. Lewis once wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. What are you living for? Are you living for today? Are, are the struggles of your life, are, are, are things in life, desires so close that you, you can only see that and you've become blind to the things around you? No, Peter encourages you as a Christian. He says, Christian, these are the qualities which define you, which the world will see and know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. So be all the more diligent to strive after them. And if you do, you won't be ineffective. You'll produce fruit. You won't even be able to help it. People will see you. They'll see a difference in your life. You'll bring honor to God by, through your families, through your life. And when you strive after these qualities, you not only produce fruit, but you'll always be remembering how God has worked in your life. And you'll be grateful. And you'll have joy even among sorrow, that He had saved you from your former sins. And when you recall that, you prove to yourself that you're a genuine Christian and you're not getting to heaven through your works but through faith in Christ, but you live in a way to honor God because you love Him, because He's asked you to, because He saved you from your sins. And because you're a genuine Christian, you have an entrance into His eternal kingdom where we live with Him for eternity in the glory of His Son, where there's no more strife, there's no more struggling or sin. Persevere to the end, Christian. Persevere to the end and, and make it your goal, even as we start this new uh, school year, to, to make spiritual goals and to desire to strive after these. And, and if you're here and you're listening and, and you're starting to wonder whether you are, uh, are really a Christian, I pray, you know, just go home and, and pray to the Lord. You know, test yourself. Feel free to come talk to me or Pastor Joe or some a fellow Christian who you know and respect. Examine your life to make sure you're really a Christian. It's important. And if you are, then start living in a way that, that your fruit is visible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and all the grace that you have shown us through your Son. We thank you for teaching us how to live and and for giving us insight and on what will honor you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that would be pleasing to your sight, Lord, that we would be a a city on a hill, even to this community. I pray specifically for um, just the the people in this room, Lord, that you would use them in in their workplaces and their families. Lord, you you know uh, all the specific details of their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give them the strength and uh, the knowledge to to grow in a way um, that you see fit, Lord, and give them the strength to do it. Lord, I pray that uh, you would be pleased um, by our desire to obey your word. And I ask, Lord, that uh, your blessing would be upon us uh, in this upcoming school year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.